Mac Power Users, Episode 356, Devon Think with Stuart Ingram. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside my pal, David Sparks. Hello, David. Hi, Katie. How are you today? I'm great. I am really looking forward to this show. This has been uh, one of our long-awaited shows that our, our listeners have been begging us for. And we've got a very special guest, Stuart Ingram, who's here to join us to tell us all about DevonThink. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Hi there. Yes, thanks for having me. Just a little bit of backstory. Stuart uh, is in the UK. He's a, a research project manager and postgraduate student. The, um, we were originally planning the show with Gabe Weatherhead. Uh, Gabe is uh, another guy who writes a lot on the internet. He's been on our show a few times about Devon Think. And, uh, and Gabe pointed me to a series of posts that Stuart had written on the Devon Think blog, which were just outstanding because he took the application from kind of a beginner standpoint to some very advanced techniques. Uh, we are going to have Gabe on the show for a workflow show next month. So we, if you wanted Gabe, that's okay. You're going to get him. But, uh, but we thought for Devon Think, because Stuart has so recently gone through this journey of turning this application and bending it to his will, that he would be an excellent uh, guest for today. So so once again, thank you, Stuart, for uh, for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So in addition to being a research project manager, postgraduate student, yeah, I, was, I was looking at your list. You're a DJ, you're a dad, and you're a writer. So you're doing a few things, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, that keeps me busy for sure. Um, but what I find is things like like Devon Think, like we're going to discuss today, um, when they're when they're properly written and they're applied in a, a sort of personalized way, I find that they really do save time and they allow you to do probably more than you think you can in your daily life. I have to admit, we've talked about Devon Think before on the show. Uh, another uh, frequent subject of conversation on Mac Power users is Evernote. And I have just never been one for these everything buckets. I mean, I I like the idea of kind of managing this stuff myself. And the reason why is that, you know, with something like Dropbox, if you have a series of nested folders on your computer, and we'll talk more, but, you know, overview of Devon Think, it's an everything bucket. You can throw everything into it and search it and access it. But using like nested folders in Dropbox, I've always felt like I have this ultimate portability. Any application on iOS or Mac that can see Dropbox can get access to all that information. So I've been a, I've been adverse to this stuff, and I've been just nervous about you know syncing all my data into some third party applications, you know, database system. And I, part of the, my problem is going back. These used to be kind of rough. And some of these applications used to take the files and rename them and grind them into some zip file or some even more arcane, um, you know, database system where once you put it in there, you never got it out again. So if the company stopped supporting the software or for whatever reason, you decide you didn't like it anymore, maybe you changed platforms and it wasn't supported, you were really stuck. And so I've got that kind of inherent bias in me. And I think we're going to address that as we go through the show. But but in addition to me being against everything buckets, uh, you also have to acknowledge there's a, a lot of good reasons why you would want an everything bucket. I mean, what are some of the things you can do with Devon? You know, what kind of applications can you replace in your life? There, there's actually quite a few. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think I'm very much a, a minimalist, really, in that I, I love my technology and I love applications, but 
I find that I get very, very quickly overwhelmed with them. So I kind of do agree with some of your concerns that you had there, um, especially about being able to get your data back out of the application if for some reason, um, you know, it stops being developed or supported. Um, but like you said, we'll come on to that and how, how that's addressed in Devon. But the thing that I find is um, I can very easily start storing information over several different applications and platforms and in different online um, cloud-based services. Um, and very quickly, I've lost track of which piece of information I, I've put where. So I, I have the type of brain that works very well in remembering that I have saved or recorded something, but not necessarily in where I put it. Um, I'm not very good with sticking to naming conventions that I might come up with. And so, you know, the, the fundamental advantage that Devon has for me is if I commit to it, I can put literally everything in there and it will store anything, documents, videos, pictures, web links, snippets of audio, absolutely anything. Um, and then I know I can search it in one place. So all I have to do is remember that I once, you know, recorded a piece of audio about how to use, you know, a certain music production software or something like that. And I can type that into Devon and I, I'm pretty confident it's going to find it rather than me getting frustrated searching around in several places. Yeah. So so let's talk for a minute about some of the alternatives to Devon. And I, I don't really want to go into the merits of them so much as to use these as trigger points. If you're using these applications now. Uh, you may be somebody that may want something like Dev and Think in your life. And the beginning one would be the Finder. If you're spending a lot of time in the Finder because you're storing things and accessing them through the Finder, I mean, it's the most basic way to do something like this. Honestly, it's probably the way I do it the most. But if you're doing that a lot, maybe you're someone who may want to listen to the rest of the show and see if Dev and Think isn't right for you. Another one, it's kind of a blast from the past, is Yojimbo. Um, I believe it was bare bones that made Yojimbo. I don't even know if it's in active development now. I should find out. Um, is it, do you know, Katie? Yeah. Yojimbo's still around. Yeah. Okay. Which is another kind of everything bucket. And then Evernote was, is really the one that really took off in popularity over the last probably six or seven years. And that seems to be waning a little bit now as the, the company struggles a little bit and people are trying to figure out, you know, does Evernote have a future or not? Well, and the big thing is that there was, there was quite a significant price hike for Evernote recently. So I, I think that is, has so, uh, turned a lot of people on Evernote a bit too. And, and that's one of Katie's roles today. She's the uh, resident Evernote, big big Evernote user. I just just renewed my Evernote subscription. See, there you go. And Stuart, you were an Evernote user, correct? Yeah, that's right. I, I used it probably not to its full potential, but I did like some of the features. Um, <clears throat> for example, being able to just turn a quick note into a presentation at a meeting was quite handy. Um, and the fact that it was available on nearly any platform that you can think of. But one of the reasons that I stopped using it was, uh, as you mentioned, the changes to the price grading and the restriction on the number of devices that you could use it for. Um, and that that really hampered my work um, that I was doing with it. So it, it did make me look for alternatives. One of the things that I'm finding, and, and this is where I'm looking for a solution with, with Devon Think, is... The idea behind these everything buckets is good for a while, but then the nature of an everything bucket is that you start putting everything in it and it becomes too much. And for me, I found that I was using Evernote to manage 
all of my statements, you know, my bank statements, my insurance statements, my financial statements, my, um, you know, monthly mortgage statements and utility statements and all of those things. And that was a ton of data to deal with in Evernote. And to do that one thing, it did it very well. And then I started dumping other things into Evernote, like, um, you know, lawyer by day. And so I have lots of data that I come across. So whenever I go to a conference or a continuing education course, they pepper you with, with information and resources and forms. And I wanted to save all of those because even though I, I couldn't necessarily read through and process all of that right now, I wanted to put all of that someplace where I could have it as a resource in the future. And I started dumping all of that into Evernote. So now I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of these things that I might want to look at one day, but I I really don't know. I I don't really know what I want to do with it, but I might need it at some point. And then I wanted to store just all of this miscellaneous personal stuff, like planning for a trip that's coming up or my Christmas shopping list or the handful of recipes. And now it's really starting to get so overwhelmed that it's bogged down and I can't find anything. And that to me is the fundamental problem with an everything bucket. So that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to get out of this Devon thing is what can I pull out and how can I, I still want to use Evernote because it's a great tool for a lot of things, but how can I use it effectively and then use, you know, maybe I'm just adding to my tool set, but use another tool like Devon think to use it effectively and, and really like Scotty says, have the right tool for the right job. Yeah, it's interesting to me because to compare Evernote and Devon, Devon has been around longer than Evernote. I mean, it's been around a long time and it started out with the model of, you know, intelligence on your Mac that is going to take all the stuff you throw at it and find ways to connect them for you and ways for you to search and find things easily. So they were there early and then Evernote showed up and said, well, we're going to do something like that, but we're going to keep your data in the cloud. And the immediate advantage of that, in addition to, um, you know, being able to process in the cloud. I mean, that was one of the first big tricks with Evernote is to do OCR on your images in the cloud. But it was also going to allow you to access it from more than one device. So if you used Evernote and you've got a Mac and an iPhone and an iPad and a PC at work or whatever, you're going to have access to all your data everywhere. And since we've really, the last time we talked about Devon, and and that was one of my big digs against Devon is the world was changing. I'm using an iPad a lot. I would like to be able to reference this data on the go. And since we last talked about it, they have come out with this, uh, I think it's called Devon to go, um, which is the iOS application, Devon thing to go. And um, it allows you to access your data and you can store it uh, in the application. We're going to talk about syncing later in the, in the hour here, but the, um, you can sync the data to your iOS device with some caveats now. So where um, where you still have the power of processing on the Mac, but you've also got remote access. So th- there's a lot to like about what they've done. Um, you know, I use a lot, I use notes as well, Apple Notes, to store a lot of information. Like Katie was talking about trips. I just copy stuff into a note for a trip, you know, a PDF or simple text. Um, but I can see how, something like DevonThink could also replace a text storage system like Notes or NVAlt or something like that. Uh, one of our listeners wrote in and said they use uh, DevonThink for planning and mind mapping. So they, you know, they plan out projects in DevonThink and keep everything there. So there's a lot of itches that this application can scratch. Um, so I guess we should start digging into to more about what DevonThink really does, right? 
And maybe that's a, a good place to, to start is a little bit of a, an overview with it. There, there are a couple of different versions of, of Devon Think, and maybe that's a place to start is, is what it does in the different versions and how they're different. Okay. Stuart, so which one did you end up using? Because there are multiple versions of Devon Think. There, there are, yeah. And <clears throat> I did quite a lot of lurking on the Devon website before I <laughs> decided to download one of the apps. Um, but fairly quickly, it seemed to me that the Office Pro version was the only real option because one of the great attractions of Devon for me is the fact that it will not only search my document titles and tags and, and metadata that's attached to an item in the database, it'll search the text within as well on PDF files. And with my work in research and my, um, my studies now as a student, as a postgraduate student, I have a lot of PDFs with a lot of words in um, and being able to search within those um, is kind of vital for me, really. And I think that Office Pro is the only version that offers that um, um, OCR feature that you mentioned uh, that was part of Evernote. So it was pretty clear to me that was the version to go for. And I'll put a link in the show notes with a chart because there's a pretty comprehensive chart on the DevonThink website that outlines the different options that are available and what you get in each each option. Yeah, and, and you know, at the basic level, the idea of DevonThink is you drop data into it or you index data to it and it looks for connections between it. But with the Office Pro version, which is the deluxe version, really, uh, it includes the Abbey Fine Reader uh, OCR engine, which I, you know, which is uh, pretty valuable. It's it's one of the best OCR engines available, and it builds it in. So anything you put into your DevonThink database is automatically going to get OCR with Abbey. And if you're like Stuart, if you're a student, or if you're somebody who's collecting a lot of documents to read, uh, the ability just to type in a phrase uh, is golden for this. I mean, I'm thinking from, from a lawyer standpoint, if you had a big um, case with a bunch of documents, it, storing them in, in a DevonThink database is a, um, would be really nice with that OCR because you could search through all of them. Uh, another interesting uh, distinction about DevonThink is that you can have multiple databases. You know, Evernote is something where you put everything in Evernote and that's kind of it. You can put folders and there's ways to tag and, and designate data in Evernote. But with Devon, there's actually separate libraries. So like the problem Katie was talking about earlier of how her, her bills plus her legal research and all this stuff was getting combined together you could actually break those up into like a legal library and a personal business library. And, and that might make it a little bit more manageable for you, Katie. Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm really interested in doing. Um, uh, some of the other advantages of the office pro version is it has direct support for ScanSnap, our friendly sponsor ScanSnap. You can press a button on a ScanSnap and it drops it directly into Evernote office pro. Um, and, and something that I think is super useful, especially if I go deeper down the stack with this application is it can archive email accounts. So you can pull an entire email account or individual emails into DevonThink. Uh, so if you had a big project, you can put the specific emails in there, or you could even just take your entire email account and, and put it into the Devon library and you could search that along with your documents and everything else. And, and then it starts getting really powerful. 
I also like the way that they've done uh, the subscription and, or excuse me, the billing on this. Most products have some kind of free trial, unless, of course, you get them from the Mac App Store, and then it's a different story. But Devon actually gives you a 150-hour free trial. And so it's not like you just get 14 days to use it because a lot of us download these products and, you know, we get all gun-ho about them for a day or two, but then we get busy with something else and we come back to them and our free trial is gone. But they actually give you 150 hours of, of actual use. I really like how they've done that. I think this free trial model of 150 hours is really admirable. And anybody listening to this show that is remotely interested in this app, has no excuse now not to just go download download it and give it a try. Because 150 hours, you're going to know if it's the right fit for you or not in 150 hours. And I would add to that that right now there's a whole bunch of stuff on Devon coming out. Not only do they have this new edition for the iOS devices, uh, Don McAllister just released a um, a video screencast. It's I believe it's about 30 minutes. He's going to do, I think, three of them. The first one, as I understand it, is free. I think I already put a link into the show notes. And it's done by Todd Oltoff, who's been a guest, uh, prior guest of the show. Todd talked to us about um, Mac Server, and uh, Todd did those for Don. So there's just a bunch of information between our show today, those screencasts, and the video and the uh, the blog post that Stuart did. We're giving you everything you need to bootstrap yourself into this application. Okay, um, so there's multiple versions, and it, so in addition to the Office Pro version, I, uh, there's some that are lower priced tiered. The one below that, I don't have the name in front of me. Uh, I'll get it in a second, but it's, it's that it's just DevonThink Pro, and then it goes down to DevonThink Professional. And that does not include the optical character recognition, the email archiving, and um, the web sharing that you get with the with the Pro Office version. So um, I, honestly, I think I would. I would kick the tires on the pro office version. Uh, the difference in price isn't that significant. And I think it's going to, if you're going to go into this thing, you're going to want OCR more than anything. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, SaneBox. If you head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU, you can start your free trial today and receive a $25 credit that you can use towards a SaneBox subscription. So, gang, we have almost made it through the holidays. I don't know about you, but this is the time of year where my life gets a little crazy. And as we move into the new year, I start thinking about all of my new workflows and things that I can do to make my life simpler and better for the year to come. And if you're starting to think about that, SaneBox is definitely something that you should think of. A lot of Mac Power users, listeners who have tried SaneBox have stayed subscribed and love it. And I think you will too. In fact, SaneBox is one of the subscription services that stays on my list year after year. What is SaneBox? SaneBox is intelligent email filtering. It works with any type of email system or service, and it learns what type of email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours so you can focus on the things that really matters. It's great at email filtering. So to start with, it will give you the Sane Later folder, and it will filter all the kinds of emails that's not that important out of your inbox into the Sane Later folder so you can keep your eye on what really matters. And SaneBox learns. It gets smarter as it does things. And all the longer you use SaneBox, the better it will get. Another great feature is the Sane black hole, which means if people keep emailing you and you don't want to hear from them, throw them in the Sane black hole and you will never hear from them again. It's a black hole. Another great tactic for managing your email is deferral or snoozing email. So that's great for deferring events until maybe the next business day or over a weekend. So when I have emails that come in over the weekend, but I know that I want to deal with them on Monday, 
throw them into the next week sane box filter and boom, they pop back in my inbox on Monday. And then there's the same reminders feature. So if I know that I've sent an email off to somebody, but I want to make sure that I follow up, I could set a task and that's a good idea. But I can also CC one week at SaneBox.com. And if my receiver doesn't reply in one week, I'll get a reminder from SaneBox to follow up. But you don't have to pick one week. You can pick two hours. You can pick April 15th. It doesn't matter. Anything will do. SaneBox is smart like that. And SaneBox is so much more than filtering. They can do things like take attachments and move them to Dropbox or to other cloud services and a whole lot more. You can learn more about SaneBox and get a 14-day free trial and a $25 credit towards your SaneBox subscription plan by heading over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. Thanks to SaneBox for keeping my inbox sane and for their longtime support of our show. Okay, Stuart, so you decided you were going to give this thing a try and uh, you went and downloaded the application. Tell us about setting up your first database. I'm sure um, people that are listening to the show will have read about the learning curve associated with Devon. and. It's it's certainly there. I mean, it, it's not the same as just use, starting to use something like Evernote, as you've been describing, where you just drop stuff in and it's just there and you read it. Um, there is a little bit of work involved in getting Devon to uh, work properly. And then secondly, you know, to work in the way that you need it to. Um, so for me, I downloaded the application and I started very small. I had a, a personal database of Things like um, Katie mentioned, some financial statements, some text notes, some video links. Um, as you mentioned before, I've got an interest in DJing and music production as well. Um, and so a lot of links to YouTube videos, PDFs of how to do certain things, software that I might want to try, production tips and so on. Um, <clears throat> that came to about 100, 120 files, something like that, you know, a few hundred megabytes, so fairly small. Um, so to start with, I just dropped all of that into a personal database in Devon, just started out with the one. Now, let me ask you this before you go too much further. Before you dive deep into it, did you give some thought about how you were going to set it up or did you just create a database and start chugging things in? No, so I did have a, a system in mind. So I kind of separated out my life into different database areas. So I have this uh, personal database that we've just been talking about there. Um, there's then a separate one for uh, professional research that I do in my in my work role, um, and a third one um, which only has materials for the postgraduate course that I'm following. Um, and also, I decided to set up a separate database for the email archiving, which you mentioned earlier. Um, and then I've indexed all of my iTunes music as well. So I've got a number of different databases that reflect the main areas that I work in. Um, and that, that kind of comes back to a sort of getting things done or GTD type of workflow, really. Those are my kind of high level horizons, I think they're called. I probably got the wrong term there, um, but it's split up into those areas initially. And, and it's interesting, though, and I want people listening to this to understand, he started out with the personal database. And I think like I've been using this the last couple of weeks as we've prepped for the show, and I've now got a legal database and a personal database. I do not yet have a Max Sparky database, but I think that's logically the next one in my life. And I think when you're trying this out, you don't make seven databases to begin with, you know, start with a one that's manageable for you and start getting your arms around how the system works. 
Um, you're right. There is a learning curve, but I don't think it's huge. And I think if you spend a little time kind of getting this figured out, you can figure out very quickly if the the kind of value you get out of this is worth it or not. You can certainly do that within 150 hours. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think that the, there's this perception of the learning curve because a lot of the other applications, and I haven't used all of the ones that you listed before, but but most of them have almost zero learning curve and, and we've kind of just come to expect that really and so when you're faced with an application that's as powerful as Devon and you have to do a bit of learning and a bit of groundwork and a bit of thinking and a bit of researching to use it properly then that's not the norm these days is it yeah so so when you started you made a personal database how did you import your data so I imported everything rather than indexing it and I don't know if it's a good point to explain that difference here yeah, yeah let's talk about that for a minute well, importing versus indexing. Yeah, sure. So so importing is, as it says on the tin, really, it means you're taking the physical file and putting it into DevonThink, um, and it's then storing it and indexing it in its, in its database system rather than leaving it in its original location in your Dropbox or on your Mac or wherever it is. Um, so that's actually putting it inside the database. Um, Indexing is something that you might want to do if the files in question are going to be used by another application. Um, And so uh, going back to my previous example, I've indexed my iTunes folder so that I've got a listing of all the music I have on my Mac and all the artists and the album names and everything like that that's searchable within my DevonThink database. But the files are still sitting outside, you know, wherever my Mac puts them for iTunes and they're still being managed with that program. And that's a good example. Like, so indexing, whenever you, imp- I'm sorry, backing up. So whenever you import data into DevonThink, uh, you're making a copy of it. So if you've got a, a, a list of documents in a, a Dropbox folder and you decide you want to put them into DevonThink, if you just drag them into the application, you can do, I mean, that that import is that simple. You just drag it from the finder into DevonThink. That's one of the ways you can do it. It's going to make a second copy of all those documents, and they're going to be in DevonThink, and things you do to them in DevonThink aren't going to be reflected in the originals in your Dropbox folder, which I think makes sense, uh, except for the problem that now you have twice the amount of data on your precious SSD uh, being used for the same file. So that may or may not work. And with your music and your media, that's going to be a significant duplication. I mean, if it's a, it's a folder of PDFs, it may not be a big deal, but if it's a bunch of movies, that's a problem. So indexing your iTunes library in Devon allows you to have the power of Devon without du- duplicating the size of the library. And there's some pluses and down- minuses to it. Like, for instance, when you, I guess you need to think about this when you get started. Like, If you copy in a group of PDFs and make a set of copies of them in Devon, and then you go over to the iOS device, because syncing, they have syncing, you're going to see them there and it'll go pull them down for you. But if you index them, you won't see them. I mean, we both Stuart and I had tested that before the show. So it does affect the mobility of the data as well. And you can decide whether you import or index different data sets on a case-by-case basis, because like you mentioned, some types of data you may want to import and some types of data you may want to index. So it's not like you're making an all or nothing choice. Yeah. And it's not permanent. I mean, if you, if you copy the data in and decide later you don't need it, you can delete it and then just index that folder, the source folder again. Sorry, just another short point I wanted to make on that as well is that you can import and index into the same database as well um, so that you you don't have to pick for a particular database whether you're going to import or index. You can do both. 
So you've got these big three main database or databases that are part of your life, but I I don't think we've yet made the point about how DevonThink organizes your information within these databases. So we talked about, for example, your personal database. It can have everything from um, information regarding DJing to um, you know, other personal documents regarding family trips and things like that. But but that can cover a, a wide range of, of topics and areas. It's not like everything has to be in one big bucket. You can still sub-organize within your databases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's very, very useful for searching sections of your databases. Um, so to take another example, um, I said that I've got a database for all of my course materials for my postgraduate course. And that's arranged into uh, groups. They're called uh, groups in DevonThink, but they're exactly like folders in a finder, really, um, for the different modules. So I've got a module one group, a module two group, a module three group, um, and so on and so on, an admin group. So that helps me to subdivide and just um, look through certain sections if I know that what I'm working with or looking for is just concerned with that part it's pretty powerful but but like it does take a little while to kind of wrap your head around it i mean one way to start this would be just to have a single database i think and just start playing with it and making sure you've got the syncing working between your various devices and you're seeing how it all works uh you you don't just import files though we talked about files but you can also uh bring email in especially with the pro version like i said earlier you can just link an email account and um, it's really not doesn't lend that process doesn't really lend itself to a, a audio podcast, but it's basically in the settings and you go and you link an email account and then you uh, let it grind for a while and it pulls all the email into the database. This would be really good for uh, a professional environment where you want to be able to index and, and re- research a bunch of email. But you can also just drag an email into it out of the Apple Mail application. It has a, a plug in when you first set it up. And by the way. When you first set it up, there's a, a, a screen that shows you. Maybe it's a little intimidating. It's got a bunch of checkboxes about all the different tools that it can install for you. Um, but those are very useful because they install the plugin for Apple Mail that allows you to link and send emails into DevonThink. They also have a very powerful web clipper, which we haven't mentioned yet. Um, I think the web clipper is certainly on par with Evernote, if not even better. And so any website you're on, you can capture into your Devon library very easily. Uh, with Safari, I did not, I don't think there is one for Chrome. If anybody knows differently, please tell me. Um, they even have a tool, surprise, surprise, to suck in your Evernote data. Katie, did you try that one out? Yes. Um, I. That's one of the things I specifically wanted to do is take all of this information that I had in Evernote that I'd pulled in from various forms and resources and CLEs and, and see exactly what Devin Think could do with that. And it worked pretty well. So what kinds of data have you been uh, pulling into your various databases, Stuart? Um, so there's a, there's a really big range, really. Um, maybe not so much for the academic side of things. That tends to be PDFs or text notes or PowerPoint presentations, for example. Um, but certainly within the personal database, I will have PDFs, I'll have Word documents, I'll have... Um, Excel spreadsheets, I will have web links, um, 
I have experimented a little bit with adding RSS feeds as well. Um, haven't quite got that working exactly how I want it yet, but that's a great way to feed in any sort of current news on a topic that you're working on. Um, those those uh, feeds will just go right into your database and, and be indexed in there also. And that's ongoing, correct? Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it pulls those in automatically. Um, so you can actually use it as a basic reader as well. Yeah. So if you've got, well, even like if you're working on some project where there's a, a feed, an RSS feed being used to distribute information, your database is always up to date with that information. That's right. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that question more in terms of what type of file do I not have in dev and think, to be honest. <laughs> what now you, you mentioned Excel, Excel spreadsheets. Explain to me, what can you do with an Excel sheet? First, how do you get it in and what can you do with it once it's inside Devon? Um, so I haven't, again, I haven't explored this fully, but just in a, in a small number of cases, I've um, added an Excel spreadsheet and uh, I'm not sure about how full the editing capabilities are from within Devon itself, but certainly you can get a representation of the data that's in there. And so that's useful to me um, professionally, really, from a, a standpoint of perhaps invoicing, say, if there's some invoicing to be done um, for a particular project. Yeah, and, and you can, just to give you a little, because I've played with this as well a little bit. Lately, I've become an Excel guru, I guess, for lack of a better term, because I've been working on something that needs it. Um, you can open files from there. You can quick look at, view them. You can see the data. Uh, but, you know, Excel is where the real work gets done. But the, the nice thing is you can get to it from the Devon Think storage. So it does work. Yeah, and I find one of the big advantages of, of Devon is that it will it will take all of those different file types. and so. Just for a quick conversation with somebody, if you need to pull up a certain file very quickly and just look at it, like you say, and get some information from it, you can do that right away with anything. Well, let's talk a little bit about the syncing with DevonThink, because I think that's one of the areas that DevonThink has improved tremendously since the last time that we talked about the app. And I think, David, the last time we talked about DevonThink, they really didn't have an iOS solution. I think combining syncing with their iOS solution um, has been two significant improvements since the last time that we talked about Devon Think. It Evernote has really set the the, the benchmark for uh, syncing and being able to have your data everywhere. Is Devon Think close? I mean, can Devon Think be a viable Evernote replacement with their various sync services? And let's talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah, why don't we start just by saying how do you enable sync and what's the mechanism? So I found um, the, the sync to be very painless, actually. Um, <clears throat> so from the OSX uh, application, there's just a small section in the preferences menu um, where you can detail how you're going to sync things, whether that's through Dropbox or through your own web server, for example. Um, and then you can detail the databases that you're wanting to sync. Um, and set those up, um, set them off to sync, and DevonThink does its stuff <clears throat> and tells you it's then ready to sync. And then you just go to your iOS app, um, which you point to the same uh, sync location. So in my case, I use a Dropbox. Um, and then tell it to sync, and it syncs all of those things up for you. Um, so I think it's it's different to Evernote in that you you literally have to do nothing for Evernote, do you? Right? It just... You put stuff in there and then it appears magically on your other devices or your other interfaces. And DevonThink doesn't quite do that. You do have to remember to sync databases um, or it, it does it in the background, but it's kind of obvious that it's doing it, if you like. Um, 
But then I think to compare it directly to Evernote, it's doing so much more in the background and it's pulling in so much more data um, and making that available to you that that's almost inevitable, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, Evernote is built as, it's syncing as step one of Evernote. It, it, by its very nature, the data is synced because it's stored in the cloud. Um, DevonThink has, you know, its roots were a native application and now it is make, made this transition. I still think there's some hiccups involved. Um, you need to, it, it automatically syncs. You can set it where you can manually sync. Um, if you're going to use multiple devices, it kind of reminds me a bit of Scrivener, which is another app we love that has recently kind of got on the syncing bandwagon with multiple devices and, you know, multiple platforms. Um, it works. You have to be a little bit precious with it in my experience. I mean, I haven't had any syncing errors either, but I'm also aware that the syncing is happening with where, where it was with Evernote. I just don't think about it. And like, even just like when you have multiple databases, um, getting it to um, sync them to the various devices and making sure you don't like have, like when I first started this, I made a mistake and created two separate legal deba- databases on two different devices. And it took me a while to kind of sort that out and realize, okay, there's one master database and I had to kill the other one. And, and once you get it sorted out, I, I guess what I would say is this isn't for someone that has no tolerance for a little bit of fiddliness, but once you get it set up, I found that the syncing has worked quite well. Have you tried have you tried much syncing yet, Katie? I've set up the syncing with Dropbox and that's what I'm using for sync. I assuming that's what everyone else is using for sync as well. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it works. It's not quite, as you said, David, as intuitive as you think. So my initial thought when I set up the Devon Think database was just to put the de- database in my Dropbox. And it, it didn't like that. In fact, it wouldn't let me put the database in my Dropbox because that's what made sense to me. And instead I had to put the database um, you know, somewhere else in my computer. I think I put it in my documents folder, which there's not much there. Um, and then set up the sync to Dropbox so it could it can do its own sync thing, which seemed a little counterintuitive, but it worked. Yeah, and I would add to that that putting it in the documents folder is actually not ideal either because uh, Apple now has a mechanism where you can sync that documents folder to the cloud. If you if you do that, though, or if maybe you think you may want to do it in a year when it gets better, <laughs> the um, uh, either way, that will also cause hiccups for DevonThink because it's relying on the fact that there's data there and it's not a cloud version. It's the actual bits, ones and zeros. So I would recommend if you're doing this from scratch, I what I did is I went to the root folder of my um, my Sparky user account and I just created a folder called databases and I just put everything in there. And I know that'll never get automatically sent to the cloud and it seems like a a good enough place. But that was one of the mistakes I made early in the process too. I guess my my concern with putting it somewhere, I guess, non-standard is if you do a, you know, when when you move to a new Mac or something at some point, um, you know, is that something you're going to forget about? If it becomes a big thing in your life, I don't think so. But it's not, it's not buried, you know, in the system files. It's, it's on the user account. It's just a separate folder. I mean, it's still in the Sparky, you know, user account. Does that make sense? No, it does. I've just, I've forgotten about something there once. So be careful. Okay. Stuart, um, you've done more of this than we have. Uh, What's your experience with syncing so far? Have you had any troubles? Um, So, yeah, as I said uh, at the start there, I've had absolutely no issues with sync at all. Um, Nothing has missynced. I've always been reasonably careful to 
Um, say if I'm opening the iOS app after a, a couple of days of not using it, I'll just open it and I'll let it do its thing before I start trying to do stuff. So I'm aware of doing that, um, which I think has probably helped. Um, but I think the the most useful thing I've found about the sync feature is that you can choose um, in your iOS app whether you want it to just literally sync the data from all of the files in a database. So the title, you know, the size, whatever else, other part of data. Um, or you can actually choose whether you want it to download onto your iOS app. So I guess you could call that a full sync where it's going to copy everything over onto your iOS app and then keep it up to date. Or you can just have the data, which is obviously a really, really big space saver. Um, so that everything is still indexed, it's still fully searchable. Um, and if you happen to want the actual document on your iOS, you can just hit a download button button, and it'll bring it on for you. Um, I think that's a, a really, really good way of managing you know, the obvious data storage issues that you're going to run into when you start building the databases. And, and uh, we haven't mentioned it much, but setting up the sync, we, I think you start the sync on the Mac, at least I did. And then once you get over to the iOS device, there's just a setting for sync. And like uh, we've been saying, we've all used Dropbox, but there's iCloud and Box and several other bases you can have for your uh, syncing foundation. Um, Katie mentioned briefly, and I didn't say earlier, uh, you know, the old idea of put the the database on Dropbox. I think that's the way it was done at one point, and it was never very stable. Now you're letting... Um, by putting it off of a cloud-based storage, you're giving Devon on one of your devices access to those ones and zeros and making it very easy for it to control that. And um, and then when you go into the iOS device, you just pick the Dropbox or whatever sync you chose to do. You, then you can click on that and it allows you to choose which databases. So Stuart, I think you said you have about seven databases. I currently have two. I think if I continue down this experiment, I'll have three or four by the time I'm done. Uh, you don't have to sync all of them. You can just pick which ones you want, which is another, I think, advantage uh, that that Katie that might solve the problem Katie has with Evernote. In fact, I'm kind of planning on not having a whole bunch of databases and in, in Devon thing, and and maybe I will, but I I kind of plan to start out with one, and you know just putting those particular documents in this one database, and and maybe I'll add more, maybe I'll add an email database or things like that. But that's kind of my goal is to move Evernote into more the personal realm of data, move all of those statements type things into Dropbox, and then use DevonThink for really organizing heavy information and PDFs and those types of things. I think when I was reading into the application before I really started using it, um, certainly looking in the documentation and looking on a few websites about the AI engine that's within DevonThink, um, there's certainly quite a bit of text around that states that that actually works better when you have distinct databases for distinct groups of documents. So not grouped by PDF or format or anything like that, but grouped by area. So that's why I went down the route of having separate databases for studies, professional research, personal, and so on. Um, because I think it makes the AI work better and more efficiently. And we've not really discussed the AI yet, but so we'll come on to that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniGraffle. With OmniGraffle, anyone can create precise, beautiful graphics. Learn more at omnigroup.com slash omnigraffle. I first bought OmniGraffle years ago to use in my law practice. It's a great tool for creating diagrams. All of the diagrams that appear in my books and presentations are created in OmniGraffle by me. 
It's funny because a lot of times people don't believe that and they think I've hired somebody, but really it's just me using OmniGraffle. No matter how you pay for your shoes, I bet you can find a use for OmniGraffle. Just in the past week, I've used OmniGraffle to make my family Christmas card and to make some sweet new Star Wars watch faces for my Apple Watch. Like all of the other Omni applications, OmniGraffle brings you both power and simplicity. I've heard from Mac Power users listeners that are OmniGraffle users, and they range from professional artists to the most basic beginning diagrammers. It really doesn't matter where you sit on that spectrum, OmniGraffle can work for you. And the best news is they just released OmniGraffle version 7 for the Mac. There's a pile of new features with version 7. It now has touch bar support for the new MacBook Pro. It's got a point editor so you can change any shape into just about anything you want. And they've added an infinite canvas. They also have new keyboard shortcuts and a bunch of new import and export features. If you're a pro user, you're going to love the new features that allow you to convert a line into a shape. They've got new artboards and artboard layers, and also the ability to convert text to shapes, which I've already found super useful for the stuff I do in OmniGraffle. If you've been listening to us talk about OmniGraffle for a while now and haven't committed, now is a great time to go over to the Omni Group and download that demo. You get a free two-week trial. You'll see for yourself how easy it is to use the application. And once you add OmniGraffle to your tool belt, you'll find a bunch of uses for it. So you too can wow your friends and coworkers by showing up with some great diagrams. Just head over to the omnigroup.com and download OmniGraffle. Thank you, OmniGroup, for supporting the Mac Power users. Stuart, one of the big selling points of DevonThink is that it brings artificial intelligence to document review and research. And it, this is, I know this is a sexy term these days, and everybody's talking about machine learning and all this. DevonThink has been talking about artificial intelligence at least 10 years, to my knowledge, with their, their application. I mean, this is something they've always been into. Um, tell us a little bit, like you're working on, I believe, is it a doctoral thesis you're working on or... Um, so it's, it's, I actually haven't got that far yet, but it's, it will be a postgraduate thesis rather than a doctoral. But that's that's certainly my plan for when I finish this postgraduate course. Well, I guess my point would be you are collecting a lot of data in um, uh, in your profession or your your degree of study. And are you seeing benefits for this uh, artificial intelligence that they talk about with Devon Think in your data? I really do, and I think this is this is still the overarching advantage, and and why I'm going to keep using this software, and why it isn't really like any of the other alternatives that we've been discussing during the show, because it does have this ability to make connections that you may not otherwise make. So, to give you an example of that, say if I'm uh, researching a particular topic that I've studied for an exam or an assignment, um. Maybe it's a particular syndrome or something like that. Um, I can put into the Devon Think search window, I can put that the name of that syndrome in and it's going to search everything that I have. So it will search document titles, document contents across all of the databases. Um, and it'll pull up the results based on my search term, but then it has this magic hat button. Um, and when you hit that, uh, a pop-out window opens up and there's a see also. Uh, field um, and a classification field as well, which we can also talk about. But the see also field um, is going to give you results that are based on similar things to what you've written. So if I've put down the name of a particular syndrome that I'm researching, 
I can see those results within the search window, but then I can see things that are similar. So not quite the same, but maybe related in the see also, um, but see also window. And so that's helped me to make connections, not only across different types of documents and different databases, even that are listing the same thing, but also to actually direct the way I'm researching things. So it will say, well, hey, why don't you look at this document? Because it might be similar. And I wouldn't have necessarily thought to do that and probably even forgot that I have that other document. But because of this AI, I'll then go and look at it. And that may lead me down a certain route and it may kind of shape um, the, the thing that I'm actually producing. Now, see, that's the big that's the money shot for me It's like what? I so tr- right now I've got a bunch of documents in these folders in Dropbox and I've got them indexed by Finder on my Mac. And if I go in Finder and I type in a few words, if there's OCR in the documents, there isn't always because Finder does it's not like Devin think it's not always OCR in the background. But if there is OCR and I type in the magic words, it's going to find the documents that contain those words. It is not, however, going to say see also. And and that is, I think, a significant benefit. Um, the, the question is, is it worth uh, adding all this stuff to your workflow and, you know, buying a software and, and adding these extra steps? But uh, if it is, I think that's where DevonThink really earns its money. Yeah, so for sure. I mean, certainly for academic writing, um, there's been several cases where that see also feature has pointed me towards papers or reports or things that I wouldn't have otherwise uh, necessarily included in the research that I was doing that I'm sure has made what I've produced more complete or better researched and better written. Um, And it works also for personal things as well. So, you know, as you know, I do do some blog writing as well, mainly around productivity tools. And I think for the, the creative side, it just helps you to enhance your posts. So for example, I've been able to pull out images and, and music tracks that relate to what I'm writing about and embed those into articles. And it just adds a nice flavor and rounds things out a little bit more. How are you, for lack of a better word, feeding Devon Think so that it um, has these articles and things to suggest to you? Are you are you going through and using the web clipper or downloading articles and anything that you think might be interesting or might be necessary to your work? or um, possibly relevant adding to the engine or you being, you know, just so that it's there for the future. How are you selective about what you add to Devon think? That's a really good question. <laughs> it would be very easy to download nearly everything that you look at each day um, and put it into Devon think. And that's the problem. Yeah. And you might never use or need 90% of that stuff. So I, I do try to triage it to some extent. Um, so if we take, Maybe again, an academic example, um, say I'm researching a particular subject for an assignment. Um, if I've looked up some academic papers online, I can see within 10 or 15 seconds whether I think those are going to be relevant and that I need to sit down and read them properly and annotate them properly later. Um, and those things, for sure, they can be just downloaded and imported straight into um, into the inbox um, in DevonThink and just sorted out later. Um, I do that with things that I think may be useful as well. Um, and so it all goes into Dev and think if I think I'm going to need it or if I'm certain I'm going to need it each day. And then every evening I'll sit and go through those things and weed them out. Um, things that I know I'm going to keep, I'll be putting into one of the smart groups that I've got set up in the databases. Um, things that I think I may need to keep, um, 
another handy feature of DevonThink is it has an inbox for each individual database as well. And I use that place to leave things that I think I might need, but I haven't quite decided on yet so that I haven't lost them and I haven't lost, lost the OCR and I haven't lost the search capability, but I haven't yet put them into a smart group. So I know I've made that distinction between am I keeping it or am I not sure yet? Um, in terms of the format for how I download things, I'm a real lover of uh, Reader View on OS X and iOS. I absolutely love that thing because it strips out all the junk from any web page or article or anything that you care to name that you can find on the internet. And you're referring to that feature in Safari where you click the button next to the address and it changes it to a much more readable format. That's right, yeah, Safari. And that works on iOS and on OS X. And within a few clicks on each of those platforms, I can have a nicely formatted document that's still got um, clickable links. It preserves metadata. It preserves the web address. It takes the pictures. um, It takes the text. And it makes it look nice and it's readable. um, And I can save that straight into Dev and Think, you know, in two or three seconds from either platform. And so actually I don't use the Dev and Think web clipper that much. And I don't use the sorter feature as well, which is kind of a, a floating inbox that sits over the rest of the applications. I literally find myself making a nice PDF out of something if I think it's worth it um, and then putting it into the inbox. And then as you sort through the inbox at the end of the day or the week or however often you go through that how how are you doing that? Are you then putting things into individual folders? Are you making use of tags? What is your mechanism for sorting through the inbox and kind of clearing through things to decide what do you keep and how do you organize them? So, yeah, so I'm triaging basically. That's, that's exactly it. Um, and things that I'm going to keep, I'll put into one of the smart groups that I've got set up inside the various databases. Um, you mentioned tagging as well, and I'll, I'll come on to that in a second, actually. Um, things that I'm not going to keep, then I'll, I will delete them straight away. Um, I'm kind of quite a, a believer in making a decision on those things. Um, it's a bit, it comes from the sort of getting things done philosophy again, the GTD philosophy. Um, do you need it? Is it in action? If you don't need it, then bin it, you know, don't keep it hanging around. Um, and so I'll either save something and put it into a smart group and perhaps attach um, an action to it in OmniFocus if it's something that I need to read by a certain date or if it's particularly important. Um, and if I don't need it, then it's going to get deleted during that clear out through the day. Um, in terms of the tagging, I've read some interesting articles about tagging based on provenance, so where you get the documents from um, rather than what's contained in the documents. And I, I don't I don't use any complex system of tagging. I probably have 20, 25 tags, I think, that I'm using actively. But I use those to categorize where things have come from. So that could be a university lecture. Um, it could be um, just some notes that I've made. It could be internet research. It could be from a particular journal, for example. Um, it might be from a particular company or an institution. Uh, so what that allows me to do is search for everything that I have from a certain place as well. Um, so if we took the example of music production here for a second, um, I could have a, a folder called Ableton for everything to do with the music production software that I use. And that might be um, how-tos, it might be PDFs, it might be YouTube videos. But I could also have an Ableton tag, and that would be everything that I've received from that company. So if I wanted to look up license keys or receipts or anything like that, there's a distinction there, um, which I find really useful. So you uh, using tags as 
excuse me, as opposed to an organization method of, you know, multiple locations for a single file using tags as a source for the file, wherever I got it for. So anything that you get from David Sparks would have a David Sparks tag, regardless of where it's stored. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think um, you mentioned there sort of multiple documents in different places. Um, One thing we haven't mentioned yet is the feature in uh, Devon of replicated and duplicating documents, um, which allows the same document to coexist in different places. So if I have an academic paper that I think is relevant to two different smart groups or even to two different databases, I can have it coexisting in the same place at the same time with any changes I make in one location reflected on the other. Um, So that's another very useful feature I find in the software. And another thing you can't do with the Finder, which is nice. This is true, yeah. In terms of, I think you've kind of told us your organization, but just kind of give us a more overview as you go through the inbox. And I guess let's pick your um, academic research, because I would imagine that's some of the stuff you thought the most about. Um, What are the hierarchies that you use to store data? Is it it nested folders at that point? Yeah, um, so it's it's, uh, groups within that database. um, And for the moment, they're organized by project. So if I'm working on an academic paper, that's going to have a smart group um, of its own. Um, if I was researching more generally into, say, a particular disease area or maybe a research process or something like that, then that's going to have a group of its own as well. Um, so there, that's where I, I organize, distinct from the tagging that I use, which is where the things have come from, um, the smart groups or the hierarchical folders are, are grouping by subject. And you and you are currently using it with one Mac and one iPhone are your two major devices, right? Yeah, that's right. That's about all I can afford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can understand that. This may be a good time to talk a little bit about the the iOS device because that's that's something that's that's very new since the last time we talked about Devon Think. Um, tell us a little bit about how the iOS device and and since you're only using it with the iPhone, we'll, we'll keep iOS fairly generic. What types of things, is it mainly a reader or a, a view into DevonThink, or are you able to use it substantively for clipping and organization? Um, yeah, so I really can. I think it, it fulfills two main roles, really, at the moment. Um, you're quite right to say that I use it as a reader, and it's it's probably even a slightly higher level than that. I use it almost as an index. So if I'm away from my laptop and I think, oh, have I got a document on so-and-so? Um, because everything's synced onto my iPhone and I've got all of the document data there, if not the documents themselves, it's very, very quick to just do a quick search and see what I've got on a particular subject. So it lets me know what I do have. And then if I really want that document, I can download it. Um, But like you say, the second uh, feature is really for collecting content when I'm on the go. So if I'm on a train journey or, you know, any other situation where I don't really feel like getting my laptop out and I come across something interesting or useful on the internet, I know that I can store that very quickly to my global inbox or if I choose to one of the database specific inboxes. And then when I've got more time later, when I'm doing my evening triage, I can open up my Mac and I know it's there already. I don't have to mess about trying to remember where it was or sending links around the place. Um, There's a a couple of other things that I use it for as well. And one thing I have found very useful is for exam revision. Um, It does take a little bit of setup within the OSX app. But what I've done there is created a series of of flashcards almost um, for subjects that I'm going to need to revise for any exams. So, for example, it might be definitions about 
molecular biology, um, you know, DNA, DNA processes. It might be about particular conditions or it might be about particular clinical features. Um, and because the search is so good in Devon, I can very quickly pull up all the information I've got on any of those subjects. And I can have a text note open and I can be typing and copying across um, and pasting things into that. Um, tag it as a flashcard and I keep it in a separate um, smart group within my um, within my uh, uh, undergraduate database. Um, and I do sync that one fully to iOS and I have it download all of the content as well. And so I can use that when I'm sweating away outside the exam hall to think, you know, what do I know about DNA transcription? And bang, I've got a flashcard on it that summarizes everything um, in, a, in a form that I can actually remember. That's, that's pretty clever, Stuart. <laughs> so it, it, one of the things I'm thinking about as I listen to the show is DevonThink really can replace a lot of different types of apps in your life if you want to simplify, uh, you know, what, uh, given that it's a little complex getting it set up, but it does simplify, I guess, the data location. Uh, w- one of the things in my head throughout this conversation is, is it worth the hassle? You know, is it worth having two copies of some data or... Uh, is it worth managing, you know, one more application? And it sounds to me like for you, it, it, it really is paying off. I think it really is because, I mean, everything that we've talked about can be t- quite time consuming and um, set up of databases, working out the sync, kind of triaging your documents, tagging documents, certainly for academic work, annotating PDFs and things like that takes up some time. Um but I think the way that I view that is rather than having seven or eight different apps that fulfill all of those different needs with a bit of effort, I can make everything do all of those things. Um, and what it actually does is it makes me spend more time with my data. So if I'm good about triaging things, as we were discussing before, and I don't have too much data in there that isn't really useful, then what I'm actually doing is just spending lots and lots of time looking through my data um, annotating it, classifying it, working with it, moving it, syncing with it. And the more time I spend with all of that data, the more stuff I'm going to remember um, and the more useful it is to me. So I think it's it's absolutely worth the time that's invested in it. And I think it probably even saves me time scratching around in different apps, trying to remember where I've left stuff. Well, it's one of those things where I think that having the stuff all in one place, you know, I've been talking about the downside of that, but there's some massive benefits to that, you know, like where it says, hey, you're searching for this term, but here's another term and some other stuff you have that's probably relevant to whatever it is you're asking me, you know, where the true, the artificial intelligence kicks in and points you in directions. It's the same thing. There's so many, uh, to me, there's so many similarities between Scrivener and DevonThink and the way that it helps you make a better product if you use the the tool right, because it actually forces you or um, by its very nature, it gives you more information than you normally would have if you were brute forcing it uh, without these extra tools. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think <clears throat> from a, a kind of non-productivity standpoint as well, it it really satisfies a curious mind. And so, you know, if, if you type in something quite high level into the search terms, like a color, say lilac, or, you know, something quite broad and quite generic, it will pull back lots and lots and lots of results. But you can then trawl through all of those results and you, you're seeing data that you already know in a different way, if you like, which to me, that kind of sounds like the point of artificial intelligence. Yeah. I mean, to think for you a little bit, to, to give you what you need. Yeah, that's right. And make you see things in a different way. 
I want to take a moment and thank our next sponsor, and that is 1Password. And Mac Power users can have everything with 1Password. They can have productivity, security, and 20% off 1Password and 1Password for families by heading over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. You might have heard that I had a little issue recently with a new MacBook Pro, and I have now had to set up two new Macs in the last month. And you know what? It has never been easier using a tool like 1Password. So the first thing I did was install 1Password on my new computer. And the folks at 1Password have made some improvements to the onboarding process, which makes reinstalling and loading all of your 1Password information easier than ever. I just downloaded it from the Mac App Store, told 1Password that I had a 1Password.com account, and it allowed me to authorize and verify the information using a QR code from 1Password on my iPhone. I didn't need to know any information other than my master password and have access to 1Password on my iPhone. Super simple. And then boom, all of my usernames, passwords, logins, software serial numbers, and everything just transferred down and started syncing to my new computer. Then I started going through 1Password and finding all of my serial information that I have synced up to 1Password. So I could go through, find out what software I needed to install on my computer, click the download link that I had saved into 1Password to get to the direct download pages for that software. And as soon as it downloaded, enter my username, registration, and serial number, all that had been saved in one password. I have never had an easier experience onboarding a new computer, and a lot of it was thanks to one password. And all of my one password information synced right over. I installed the browser extension, and boom, I had access to all of my websites, all of my information. And since more and more of our stuff is saved up in the cloud, all of that was now available to me and easy to unlock thanks to the ease of 1Password. If you're not using 1Password to store all of your information, then you're really missing out and it's probably time to rethink your system. And there's never been a better time to do that. You can try 1Password for an individual's or protect your entire family with 1Password for families, which includes up to five people free for 30 days by heading over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. And make sure MPU is all caps because when you go to that site, not only will you get the power, productivity, and security of 1Password, you'll also be able to claim 20% off your subscription. So head on over onepasswordcom slash MPU and thanks to 1Password for making my life a lot easier and for your longtime support of Mac Power users. All right, Stuart, you've been in the uh, Devon Think uh, camp longer than Katie and I have. Tell us some of your your uh, your favorite workflows you have for you know, getting work done with Devon Think. Okay, um, so the, the flashcards that I've already mentioned is is certainly one. Um, that's something that's been very, very helpful to me. Um, I guess another big one for me is um, working through and annotating um, academic papers. So, um, you know, for anyone who hasn't worked in that area that might be listening to the show, um, if you're going to really absorb the information in an academic paper, then you do need to sit and physically read the thing, think about it, make some notes, look up other references whilst you're reading. Um, uh, and so on. So it's quite a thorough activity. And um, Devon Think does help with that in that it keeps all of this in one place. And so I can import the PDFs that I'm working on. Um, I can attach notes to it within Devon Think. I can highlight things. I can draw text boxes around passages of interesting text. So I can put questions and comments on there. Um, and I know that those are going to be preserved. Um, if I'm working collaboratively on something with, with people. So it, it seems to be one of those cases where 
despite the fact you're using sort of slightly proprietary software on a Mac, the changes and work that you do will translate straight out to somebody who's, say, using a, um, a PC and Adobe Reader. They can see this, the same comments just as I can uh, within Dev and Think. I would, and I would add to that, because I've been testing this uh, quite a bit at leading up to the show, is not only can you use the built-in tools for that PDF stuff, if you want to send it out, you know, to your PDF reviewer of choice, whether it's on the Mac or iOS, it has ways to send it out as well. So you're not tied to Devon when you do it. But um, any changes or any changes you make to that file that, that go into the Devon library will get synced across your devices and be viewable by somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one other thing that I've found very useful is using um, Devon as an outliner for larger projects. So you mentioned Scrivener before, and I really, really like Scrivener as an app. Um, I'm not using it currently because I found that pro- probably the big advantage of Scrivener for me over something like Microsoft Word or you know a, a, another more standard word processing package was um, the fact that it worked really, really well as an outliner. It allowed me to jump between different sections of text as I pleased, really, and start writing at different places without having to have that linear writing flow that you seem to be forced into with something like word um but what i found with uh, with devon is that, it, that you can do that through a series of rich text files um so rather than just storing plain text notes which is what i would normally do um, i've used nvols you know quite a lot in the past for example uh, if you use rich text notes then you can embed links to other notes within those and so it's very easy to have an outline document with a lot of links to different um, documents that are going to make up parts of your whole. So it's not quite the same as Scrivener. It's a bit of a, a patch job, really, but it allows you to hop around very, very quickly between different documents, almost as if they were the same document. And it prompts you to save everything as you're doing that as well. So you're never worried about losing any data and you don't end up with hundreds of windows open. So actually a basic outliner workflow I found really useful and, and very easy to build in Devon. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it, they are similar in that way. And uh, what's the size of the database you currently have in Devon? What's, what's the biggest database you have there? And just to, for reference right now, like I'm testing one right now. It's got about a thousand files under it. And that's working fine. iOS, Mac, actually two Macs now. It's syncing across two Macs. And I'm not having any problems. I haven't heard from anybody yet saying, you know, that the machine starts breaking down at some number of files. No, I've, I've not read anything or seen anything about that as well. And I've seen people posting about having databases with 10,000 and upwards documents in, um, like you mentioned, legal databases um, or sort of natural history. Um, students and researchers tend to have massive, massive databases. Um, mine's kind of a, of a similar size to yours, um, it, it, the biggest one at the moment. So. Um, but I've only been using this for six months, so I'm expecting it to grow uh, exponentially as I go on. Yeah, well, that's good news. Uh, I, and if anybody listening is having big problems with a large dev and think, uh, let us know, because I think that's something you need to know before you dive into one of these things. So kind of in summary, if if someone is thinking about getting into dev and think, they're not sure about it. Maybe they're using one of these other products. What was the thing that pushed you away from other products and into DevonThink? Why should somebody be looking at DevonThink as a possible solution to their problem? Um, 
Well, I think there's there's no disadvantage in trying, is there? Um, like you said before, David, there's a very generous trial period and you can get a fully functional version of the top-end software and use it for 150 hours of real use, which is enough for anyone to decide if it's for them or not, I think. Um, but I think some of the things that pushed me away were, um, as we mentioned, Evernote seems to be restricting you know, the number of devices that you can use it on. Well, just I think just on the free account, um, I think you can use it with unlimited devices if you're on the plus or the premium account. But I think it's just the free account that they're restricting you to two devices. Okay, Yeah, that sounds right, actually. And I think that happened at the point where I was trying to decide between the two. And so that tipped me towards Devon, actually, rather than paying for a subscription, which I hadn't done in the past. Um, but I think that the things that attracted it to me, uh, me to it are the AI um, and the obvious ability for it to do a lot of searching around inside your documents and make connections that you otherwise might not do. Um, and also the fact that you can you can put in there literally any type of file. It can be a web address, it can be a one-line note, it can be a huge PDF, it can be YouTube links, it can be movies, images, um, music, absolutely anything. And that was just way too cumbersome for me with something like Evernote. And it, and it kind of reduced Evernote to um, more of a note-taking app, really, rather than a document storage solution. And I wanted something that was going to do both. Uh, in one place. So that's what did it for me, really, those two features. So what do you not like about Dev and Think now that you've dug in and you're using it every day? Um, so there, there's always some things that you think could be improved, isn't there? And, and I think a lot of mine are, are sort of around very small basic functions. So, for example, um, we mentioned the see all window, um, which slides out nicely and gives you all those suggestions when you've done a search, when you press the magic hat button. Um, but when you've finished with it, it doesn't slide back in by itself. You have to move it back in. Um, so I think there's a, a few things that could be kind of tightened up in the user interface, perhaps, um, but for one thing. Um, and another feature it would be great if it had i think would be the ability to email things into it so i know that evernote does that um if you're at a computer anywhere in the world and you've got your email account then you can send stuff to your evernote it's not an inbox is it but it goes to your evernote um i think it would be brilliant if devon think had a feature like that a mail drop type feature yeah mail drop so that you know if you're away from your iPhone, you're, all, you're away from all your devices. You can still log into your email. You can send stuff to your inbox to be processed later. Um, so I think that would be a great feature. Um, and another thing I came across whilst I was using it was um, import of metadata. So way back when, I was quite a keen photographer, and I've got plenty of images hanging around on my hard drive. Um, and I thought it would be useful if Devon Think would import and recognize the metadata from those, such as whether the flash fired, you know, what the exposure time was, what the light conditions were, and the focal length and things like that. But um, it's, it's very difficult to implement. So I understand from Devon because there are literally millions of different types of metadata that a file could have. And so to pick the ones that they could integrate would be almost impossible, really, or very arbitrary, at least. How do you use Devon Think with um, OmniFocus? Because I know you were saying one of the things was for your getting things done system, Devon has been of help. What are you doing for that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't use GTD to its full advantage probably, but half of the point of that system is that you take what you need from it and make it work from you uh, for you. 
which is a little bit like Devon thinking itself. Um, but what I do find really useful is that I can um, append a, a hyperlink to any item in Devon Think um, to an OmniFocus task. So if I have a task to review a certain video by a certain date, for example, that would be quite fiddly to set a reminder for um, otherwise, but I can create an OmniFocus task and um, DevonThink will create a hyperlink for literally any item in one of its databases and allow me to embed that in there. So it could be any of those file formats that we've discussed at all, um, which is very, very handy, really. It'll take you straight to the item that you need to do when the task flashes up as due. So just tell us real quick, how do you create that hyperlink? Um, so you just right-click on the item in DevonThink and it, it, um, there's an option to create item link, I think it's called. Yeah, it's called copy item link. Yeah, copy item link. There you go. Yeah, and and that will work on your device. So then you can paste that into an OmniFocus task or whatever your task manager is. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, and yeah. you can basically paste it anywhere on your Mac or your iOS device, and then that'll get to it. Does it work on iOS? That's the one place I haven't tried that yet on iOS. I don't know if is that something you've tried. I actually haven't, actually. There we go. There's something for me to go research when we finish talking. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got that one for feedback. <laughs> um, what has been most delightful for you about DevonThink as you've got into it? I mean, what are you getting out of it that you did not expect? I've really enjoyed the process of learning it, actually. Um, and that's kind of a phase that I'm having in my life at the minute. I've just started this uh, postgraduate degree and all sorts of other things are suddenly becoming interesting. So I'm at that time of life where I love learning stuff anyway. So actually it's been a very much a pleasure and, and not really a chore to learn at all. Um, but I think going back to a point that I made earlier, um, getting off the productivity tip for, for a second, I think it makes me look at things that I've got in different ways and, you know, without any other end point than that, um, I, I can look into Dev and think and I, I can wonder all right, how many times have I got the word waves in all of my documents, just idly? And it will tell me that. It will look up those words for me and tell me how many, how many times they occur in my databases. So I love the fact that it will just give me a different slant on the data that I've already got. And I think one of the big takeaways from this is well, DevonThink is a wonderful tool. It just depends on how you're going to use your data and, and where what type of tool do you need? I have had so many people write in to tell me that they have tried, you know, kind of in defense of Evernote ever since we've, we've started looking at alternatives to Evernote and exploring other options. And I, I think where I'm coming down at the, the end of this is Evernote is a great tool for me for certain types of things. And I certainly don't mean this to come across as a ditch Evernote and, and jump on the Devon think bandwagon show. Um, but one of the things that I've realized is, is Evernote is not the greatest tool for everything for me. And I think Evernote certainly has a place in my life and I'm going to continue using Evernote. But I, so far I've been pretty excited with, with what Devon think can do for me for a certain subset of data that I have. And so I'm moving some of my data in that direction I'm moving some of my data into the Dropbox direction, and I'm trying to keep the data that Evernote is best at handling in Evernote. So although that may be adding some complexity to my life, what I really kind of see it doing is using the right application for the right resource. And what a great way to summarize it, because that's what we're really about here. I, I've always felt like um, getting too hung up on saying, well, I don't want to buy two different apps. Um, if if 
two different apps are what it takes to scratch the itch and get the work done, uh, it's well worth the investment because you will make more money. You will be more productive. You will get your stuff done if you have the right tools in your tool belt. Um, yeah, like Katie, I, I am always been dancing around the edge of it, of Dev and Think. I am closer now than I ever have been to really adopting it in a, a much bigger way because of, frankly, the ability to have a, a quality app on iOS because I spend a lot of time on iPads and I want that data available to me. If it's not, then it's no good to me. And I've been very impressed with the tests I've been doing. It's limited data sets. I, I haven't gone into it like I have in other things, you know, where I go full hog, as Katie likes to make fun of me for. But um, it is, the testing is working good. One of the best things about it, and uh, we we should kind of get to this point before we close out, is you are not using a Roach Motel with DevonThink. And frankly, you're not anymore with Evernote either. They've made it a lot easier to get stuff out. But when you put your data in DevonThink, getting it out is very simple. One of the very first things I did when I started testing this in earnest was I put a bunch of data in to DevonThink and, and then turned off the computer, turned on the computer, and I went and drug all that data out onto my desktop. And guess what? It just showed up. So uh, no matter what I do in DevonThink, um, if at some point I decide to leave, I can leave with my data intact with really no problem. Uh, and I think that's a big deal. Uh, part of the challenge for me is automation routines. Like, for instance, I have records and stuff that are all automatically taken care of using things like, you know, Hazel and some of the other tools that we talk about on the show. And I haven't fully figured out if I can automate importing an organization in DevonThink. And if not, that limits at least one of the categories of documents that I would store there. Well, Stuart, if people are interested in learning more about your journey with DevonThink or more about what you do, is there a place on the web or on Twitter? Where, where can people follow you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, um, that would be fine. And I haven't used Twitter that much recently, so I'm going to have to let you have my address after the show. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. How's that? <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, but yeah, very, very happy to talk to people on there. I did put in the show notes, so a link to the whole series of articles Stuart wrote about kind of getting his arms around DevonThink and setting it up and some of the more advanced stuff he's doing, that's in there. Uh, we'll put a link into the Screencast Online series that's getting started. Um, and like I said, with the 150-hour trial, if this is at all interesting to you and if you're still listening, it is, <laughs> I would say go go try it out for yourself and see what you think. Uh, this is really a powerful tool. And um, I bet there'll be a few listeners out there that get on the Dev and Think bandwagon after today. I do want to thank our sponsors for today, and that's going to be SaneBox, OmniGroup, and 1Password. And of course, if you have any feedback for us, you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Or the show is on Twitter as well. We're at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Max Sparky. We'll see you all next week. Bye.